2: A Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. It is the final almighty take episode of the Bills season. We'll still do almighty takes. They'll just be off-season related. As a reminder, you can email me. I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com with your almighty takes and I will accumulate them. And the way we're going to do it this off season, unless I come up with a better idea is once I accumulate enough to have a good episode, I'll do an episode. In addition, there will be three specific times where I will specifically call for them. I will have an almighty take episode about free agency, almighty take about the draft and almighty take about training camp. So, that's the way we're gonna handle Almighty takes currently, tentatively this off season. Don't get me wrong, I have a plan. All of the episodes are planned out from now until the start of the regular season. I have topics for every single one already laid out. But you got to be flexible. Have a plan and in the plan, have accommodations and contingencies for things that come up. I mean, let's be honest. If you don't have at least two contingency plans for your plan, and then each one of those contingency plans should have at least two contingency plans, are you even trying? Are you even trying at that point? We are going to do Almighty Takes. It might be a short episode because not a lot of people want to talk, and I don't have crumbling their cookies to talk about this week. So let's dive right in to the Almighty Takes. Yestin says, Hi, Bruce. Firstly, I want to thank you for doing your pod. It has become a staple of my week and is always a highlight for me, be it in victory or defeat. Secondly, I'd like for it to be known that this was the greatest bill season in my lifetime. And if you told me before the season started, it would end up looking like this. I'd be thrilled. Lastly, I give you my almighty take this off season. Brandon Bean finds a way to negotiate the cap and re-sign more pending free agents than expected. However, He doesn't bring any new big-name talent to the roster until the draft. As always, you're the G, Yeston. The OG. You hear that, guys? MC Blowhard is the OG. That's how we do it. So, the interesting thing about this take is that Brandon Bean is in a similar situation to a lot of GMs around the league. This is different than just having a cap crunch, This is a league-wide cap crunch. There's only going to be a few teams that have really good amounts of space because of what the cap situation has been like for this COVID season. I do expect that one of Feliciano, Daryl Williams, or Matt Milano will be re-signed by the Buffalo Bills. That is not me reporting something. This is a hunch. This is based on the fact that I don't think Brandon Bean is going to want to go into the draft with a ton of holes. And because of that, you have three starting positions that are unrestricted free agents. And when you have three starting positions that are unrestricted free agents and you look at Brandon Bean's history, he's probably not going to want to go into the draft with those kind of holes. So I suspect at least one of them will be re-signed. If you made me guess right now, I'd say Daryl Williams. If you held a gun to my head, said, Bruce, which one of the three is going to be re-signed? I'd say Daryl Williams. The staff has a prior experience with him. They have seen him play at a very high level, not once, but twice. And he has shown the ability to not be injured this year. He played well this year for all 16 games and the playoffs and he played at a high level and was consistent. So if you were to make me guess which one of Feliciano or Williams or Milano comes back, I would say that I agree that one of them would be back because Brandon Bean's not somebody who likes to go into the draft with a ton of holes. And I think if you made me pick, I'd pick Daryl Williams, Andy, Says his offseason almighty take is that Josh Allen negotiates a team friendly extension, somewhere in the area of 18 million average annual value over three seasons. First, McDermott is all about not doing it for yourself, but for the guys lining up next to you. Allen's buy in to McDermottisms became hilariously obvious when he caught himself using the find a way motto during the postgame interview following the win versus Baltimore. Next, New England set up the model for this over the past two decades. In 2005, you know, after the three Super Bowls, Tom Brady signed a four-year, $40 million deal. In 2010, Brady signed a four-year, $70 million deal. He then restructured that deal two years later to clear $7 million in cap space. This, in turn, allowed New England to routinely bring in talent around Tom Brady to remain competitive, though a garbage division certainly helped. I realize that the salary cap isn't the same it was 15 years ago, but the rationale remains the same. So given the team's cap situation, particularly if the cap goes down this year, Allen is going to need his wallet to take one for the team in order for the Bills to retain or bring in top talent. Diggs did it once he was traded here, although probably for different reasons, so it's soon going to be time for Allen to return the favor. People keep talking about how Allen's going to get a $30 plus extension. And the way he played this year, I certainly think he'll be deserving of it. But if a Super Bowl truly is his goal, I think Allen puts his ego and his earning potential on the shelf for the time being to allow the team a better chance to improve and win. Okay, a couple things to digest as part of this take. The first thing is that when Diggs got here, he actually got some of his salary advanced. He didn't take a pay cut. When Stefan Diggs got here, he got some of his 2021, 2022, the future money pushed up into this year. So there was a restructuring, but it wasn't in the favor of the team. It was in the favor of Stefan Diggs. His guarantee went up next year and they moved some of his money forward. So the restructure that Stefan Diggs did was in his best interest, not the team's best interest. secondly, million average annual value over three seasons is less than half of what the market is for quarterbacks right now. We have never seen someone ever voluntarily accept a contract that far below market value at the quarterback position. Ever. Not even Tom Brady. If you look at the Tom Brady extensions in 2005... $10 million a year was a reasonable quarterback contract. That was about right. Then in 2010, when he signed the four-year $70 million deal, that was at the time the most guaranteed money ever given to any player ever. So yes, Tom Brady didn't squeeze the Patriots dry, but he certainly didn't take less than half of what the average annual value market going rate is. I would be very shocked, like highly improbable isn't even a strong enough response, probably, to Josh Allen taking something in the $18 million a year range. I think it'll be every bit from $39 to $41 million a year when Josh Allen signs it. In addition, it should be very noted that Josh Allen still has his fourth year and ostensibly his fifth year option. They haven't picked it up yet, but that seems pretty likely before that money would necessarily kick in. So if Josh Allen signs an extension, there is a method by which you can structure it the way the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes, where there is a net neutral effect on the cap for the next two years. So his cap number for the next two years looks exactly the way it would have looked anyway. And by the time the cap number gets bigger... Then the NFL cap will be markedly bigger because the new TV deals would have hit by 2022. So I don't anticipate this happening. And quite frankly, if if you're his agent, I'm not entirely sure you want to be a part of that deal. It would be a nice swan song, I guess, to your career as an agent if you got your name attached to a contract that looked like that. I mean. Tredavious white set the bar for NFL cornerbacks, but he didn't set it by as much as we thought he was going to. And we were all over here talking about what a great contract it was because he didn't set the bar by as much as we thought he would, but taking less than half of the average annual value of a market contract is unheard of. So, I'm going to say highly probable. I, I just I just don't see it. Listen, Josh Allen seems like a nice guy and everything, but they're still athletes they still want to get paid. And I, I don't think he's going to rake the team over the coals. But the Tom Brady thing is not quite the same. Tom Brady did sign a record-setting deal in 2010. And also, when you restructure a deal, you might not necessarily be helping the team at all. You might be just converting salary into signing bonus, which is a simple restructure. and happens all the time. If you convert a salary into signing bonus, you're just taking all of your annual pay. You're just getting it at one time. That's not sacrificing to help the team. That's just getting all your money now instead of later. So I would be floored. I would be absolutely floored if this was the case. I'll tack it up as highly improbable, but I wish I could go stronger than highly improbable, but that's that's we don't do that here. So we're just going to go highly improbable because, hey, anything can happen. Luke says, hey, Bruce, I know you can't answer everything, but I wanted to ask anyways for your pod this week. Is there an explanation for the Chiefs seemingly newfound ability to smother this Buffalo wide receiver core? Or maybe more accurately, the Bills inability to get open downfield? I just did not understand what was happening in the game, and it can't be just as simple as Beasley was hurt, right? Thanks again for all you do, and I completely understand if this doesn't fit your tight weeknight timeline. Luke in Atlanta. Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, and John Brown all being gimpy. And the Chiefs getting away with some overly physical, perhaps, coverage downfield all contributed to the receivers not being able to get separation downfield. Those are all contributing factors. In addition, the offensive line was getting whooped enough that it started to get in Josh Allen's head a little bit, and he started bailing early with the expectation of pressure coming from Chris Jones up the middle. All of these things kind of worked together to conspire to not let the Bills get open. In addition, Brian Dable didn't exactly do them any favors with bunch formations and tight things that the Rams have historically done and the Titans have historically done to allow their receivers to get off of man coverage. So it's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of Dable. It's a little bit of injuries. It's a little bit of physicality from the chiefs. It's a little bit of pressure. All of these things contributed to the past game, not being able to be effective and receivers not being able to shake free. Chris says, Bruce, thanks for all the work you put in the season and my condolences to you and Mrs. Bruce for the Ohio State losing to Alabama. And I hope everyone's feeling better. Yes, my wife is markedly recovered from her bout with COVID. I would say she's probably about 90% and, uh, and chugging up from there. So I'm very happy about that. At what point in the game, Bruce, did you realize it was a lost cause? Yeah, the popular narrative is the coaching choice to go for field goals when you need to score touchdowns. And I was certainly shaking my head going into halftime. The next popular narrative is clearly the inability of the offensive and defensive coaches to make adjustments, but the one that really sticks out to me, and is not being discussed enough, was the coaching contrast in how Devin Singletary was treated after his costly drop and how Mecole Hardman was treated after his costly punt mistake. Casey realized that they needed the full complement of weapons for Mahomes, so the coaches worked to get Hardman back in the flow of the game, while McDermott treated Singletary like this was week six and benched him for TJ Yeldon. When I saw Yeldon, a fine mentor in the RB room, but also someone who's taken fewer snaps than Taiwan Jones this season, taking snaps at a critical juncture in the most important game of the year, I said, man, this is effing over. I hope we grow from this game like we grew from the debacle in Houston last year. The bickering bills of the late 80s needed the playoff adversity to set up the Super Bowl run in the early 90s. Kind regards, Chris in Cincinnati. I actually had no problem with the benching of Devin Singletary. I really didn't have an issue for one TJL was more effective than Devin Singletary. Also Sean McDermott has shown the ability to do this before. He did it with Zach Moss early in the year when he fumbled on the goal line. He's done it before to resonate the point that mistakes of an execution manner that severe, get your butt on the bench and the comparison to Mecole Hardman, I think, is a really good one because it allows me to kind of bring up this point. Mecole Hardman has dynamic, game-breaking traits that if you keep them on the bench, you are doing your team a disservice. Devin Singletary was less effective than TJ Yeldon. The person they benched him for was better in that game. The person that you would have benched Mecole Hardman for was not capable of doing things like busting out a 50-yard end-around for a big game. So I think that the personnel you have and how badly you will be hampering your team by benching the player matters in the decision to bench the player. Because it's a value proposition. What am I giving versus what am I getting? And if I'm giving up game-breaking talent, then perhaps maybe I don't want to do that. But if I'm giving up Devin Singletary and I'm getting perfectly reasonable running back play, then maybe it doesn't seem like that big of a deal anymore. In addition, those types of mistakes are amplified on the national stage in a playoff game. So they do matter more than they matter in week six. So I actually don't have too much of an issue. As far as when I knew it was a lost cause, I think for me... In the third quarter, when the Chiefs continued to be able to move the ball at will and score, that was when I thought, you know what? I don't think this is going to happen. Because in the second quarter, they really lit them up. 21 points in the second quarter, that's, that's a lot. But if you come out after halftime and things are a little bit different, then you think, okay, the second half has a shot. But when the Chiefs continued to move the ball in the third quarter, that's when I knew it was... Probably too far gone at that point. Chris says, P.S. Put me down for an XL t shirt emblazoned with how and why are the more important interrogatives. That's a Bruceism that if you're new, you may not have heard, which is how and why are more important interrogatives than what. That's a Bruceism. So if I do t shirts, I'll make sure to put that one on there. Jesse says, Bruce, first of all, thanks for a great season of podcasts. That enriched the fandom of myself and many others throughout Bills Mafia. Sucks that it's over, but I believe we have many winning seasons ahead. I should probably live in the moment, but I'm eager to fast forward through the rest of the winter, spring and summer, to restart September football. My take is the Bills need at least one more explosive playmaker on either side of the ball to have a chance to surpass the Chiefs. On defense, I see that player as an elite pass rusher. Although CB2 is a greater need in general, the impact of another DB would be negligible against the Chiefs because of their embarrassment of riches at skilled positions. Consider that Sammy Watkins, who didn't even dress for this beatdown, is Mahomes' third option. No combination of DBs will be able to hold up against such a dynamic attack for long. The only hope is to generate pressure with a four-man rush before these speeders' receivers can get separation. On offense, they need a more athletic running back who can do more than just catch or drop checkdowns. They need someone who can play a little bit of slot receiver and use speed to win one-on-one matchups created by the Bills' spread offense. They don't need to plan a greater number of runs, but they should expect better results when they do decide to do so. My secondary take relates to the offensive side of the ball. No quarterback should be expected to produce under the circumstances Allen faced against the Chiefs. Tony Romo, a universally respected commentator, repeatedly noted that the Chiefs' stifling coverage was downfield. He pointed out one play where Allen could have checked down to Beasley, and another where there was a miscommunication between Allen and Diggs on either a post or a corner route, but most of his commentary focused on the Bills' blanketed receivers. I thought that every pass more than five yards behind the line of scrimmage required Allen to use every ounce of his prodigious arm strength and newly acquired accuracy to squeeze the ball into extremely tight spots. He received so little help from the running game that Singletary actually seeded Snapsy Yeldon down the stretch. I haven't seen any quarterback, including Tom Brady in his prime, consistently play better under the same set of circumstances. The secondary take ultimately leads back to the first. No amount of player development or refinement of tactics will change the fact that the Bills are currently not as talented as the Chiefs. Until we get at least one more playmaker on either side of the ball, they will have to play their best and hope for the Chiefs to play their B game. Oh well. Ultimately, it was the most exciting season in years, possibly ever, and I'm looking forward to next year, Jesse. You're going to hear me say this a lot regarding pass rusher this year. I would like a dynamic pass rusher too. You're not going to get one at 30. That's just not where you find dynamic pass rushers. Look at the best pass rushers in football right now. Miles Garrett. Joey Bosa, Cleo Mack, Nick Bosa. They're all top five picks. They're really, really high picks. Those dynamic players aren't around at 30. I don't think you get one there. Now, you can get lucky. There are good pass rushers in this league who weren't taken high. Max Crosby, Zadarius Smith... But Cameron Jordan was taken at the end of the first round, for sure. But a lot of these players were first-round picks. It's just really rare. It's really rare to find them. Don't get me wrong. Somebody's there. I'll take it. I'll be happy with it. But I think the probability of you finding that elite pass rusher who can come in day one, that's important, and be a productive player, player off the edge is lower than other positions. It's one of the reasons why I understand the, I don't know, what's the word? Fever, I guess, about a running back at 30, because we've seen running backs in the late first round come in and be immediate impact players. I understand that part of the argument. That doesn't mean I'm okay with it, but I understand it. So it's going to be harder than you think to get a dynamic pass rusher at 30. Now, on offense, the running back thing we already talked about, but you're going to have dynamic weapons. You're going to have abilities to get maybe a tight end, maybe a wide receiver at 30 who can be dominant. We've seen people. Justin Jefferson was picked number 22, and he did pretty well for the Vikings last year. So things like that are more probable at certain positions. In regards to your cornerback, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to pick a cornerback at 30. Just because it's not part of their DNA to have two first-round corners who are really talented and really athletic at the same time. It's just not what they've ever done as far as being a McDermott go. They've always just sort of had a get-by guy at CB2. But just remember that part of the reason you're not able to play man ever and mix it up against the chiefs is because you don't have the athletes to do it. We talked about on the pod yesterday. So I would strongly nod toward not putting that out of your mind. If I was giving advice to the bills, front office, but I truly believe they're going to ignore my pleas. (laughs) They did last year. We drafted a corner in the seventh round who is a smidge, possibly better athlete than Levi Wallace and Josh Norman. So it is what it is. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to finish up your almighty takes. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning.
0: As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity,
2: Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Jumping right back into the Almighty Takes, Christopher says, Hi, Bruce. First off, thank you for a wonderful season of content. Win or lose, I've loved listening to your podcast. Can't wait to hear what you've got planned for the offseason. Anyway, this is a three-part email, so I'll dive right in. First off, we're going to do his Almighty Take. Christopher's almighty take is that early in the offseason, the Bills will hire at least two new offensive coaches. I expect Brandon Bean to use the carrot of the offensive coordinator position in 2022 to draw in prime candidates, with the expectation that Dable will leave after next season. Essentially, this will set up an in house competition for the 2022 Bills offensive coordinator job and allow Bean and McDermott to groom Dable's successor while ensuring that Allen gets a continuation of the stability that he's enjoyed so far. I'd expect Ken Dorsey to be the lead candidate in that competition, but this year's handover will hopefully benefit him and everyone else on the staff. I think that a lot of what happens with the Bills' offensive staff is going to depend on whether or not Leslie Frazier gets hired as the head coach of the Houston Texans. So right now, it is 8.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on January 27th, which is a Wednesday. So I'm recording this on Wednesday evening for the Friday podcast. At this time, Ravens assistant head coach, David Cully, you remember him, is currently the leading candidate for the Texans job, but it very well could be Leslie Frazier. So by the time you're listening to this, then perhaps that decision will have already been made. But I do think that that's going to change things for the Bills. If Leslie Frazier goes to the Texans, that's going to cause a shakeup. Because Leslie Frazier very well may likely take someone like Chad Hall or someone like Ken Dorsey with him as the offensive coordinator, which would be bad for sure. But I think before they make any calls on bringing in new coaches, first they got to see if there's any holes that are created by Leslie Frazier poaching any talent. The second part of Christopher's email was an off-season podcast episode suggestion. I have noted it. I have no idea how I will pull it off, Christopher, but that's just between me and you, man. I I read it. I liked it. Not entirely sure how I would do it, but I will stew on it, I promise. He also had a fandom story, so we're going to read it. Christopher is from Newcastle, the closest English city to the Scottish border. And my family moved to Rochester, New York when I was 12. At that time I moved over, the most I knew about American football was that it was a sport often played in American high school movies. We landed in Rochester in April, so I had five months to figure out what the NFL was and to pick a team. Being from Newcastle, I was naturally drawn to the teams that had black and white in their uniforms, the Raiders and the Steelers. And a lot of the people that I met in school were New Jersey team fans, but eventually My dad's insistence that you should always support your local team won through, and I became a diehard Bills fan. A decade later, I'd moved back to the United Kingdom, graduated from university, and started working in Edinburgh, Scotland. I was living with one of my friends from uni and a third guy who we had found online and was studying Arabic at the University of Edinburgh. One night, that third guy decided to have a party for everyone on his course. And he decided to not tell me or our other flatmate until five minutes before people were going to arrive. I happened to be cooking my dinner in sweatpants and a Bill's hoodie at the time, as one does. Luckily, the first person to arrive was the woman who would become my wife. She walked into the kitchen, and the first thing she did was point at my shirt and say, Hey, go Bills! I wasn't used to hearing Bills fans in the United Kingdom, so I launched into an explanation of why I supported them. Oh yeah, I used to live a couple hours east of Buffalo, so you know, I ended up supporting the local team. My future wife responded with, oh wow, I'm from Rochester, and from there, all because of my Bills hoodie, we figured out that we'd be in the same high school at the same time and never met. Then four years and 3,000 miles away, a Bills hoodie brought us together. We've been happily married for seven years now. Apologies for the long and rambling email. I absolutely love your podcast, and I can't wait for the non-Marvin Lewis content you've got planned. Although as someone with a significant soft spot for the Bengals, I'd probably have loved those episodes. Bills, man. Bringing people together. The Bills are Cupid now. Just people loving people because of the Bills. Bringing people together. It's a unification team. That's what we do. Here in Bills Mafia. We bring people together. I love the Bills. You love the Bills. Well, let's just love each other. We'll complete the Triforce. Yeah, I I made a Legend of Zelda joke. Please laugh. All right, Mr. Garina says, I have to preface this email with a warning and apology since it will be lengthy. All season long, I've had a desire to email but I couldn't bring myself to do so. But after hearing last Friday's podcast, which brought me to tears, I could hold out no longer. I didn't know exactly what to write. So I've decided just right from the heart. Here goes. This is addressed to Mrs. Almighty. This letter is a thank you letter to all the better halves in the Bills Mafia. Thank you, ma'am. Not just for all the behind the scenes things you do for this amazing podcast, but for sacrificing quality time with your husband so that he can share... Not only his love for the Bills, but his wisdom and insight to the highly emotional masses. Through your husband's logical perspective and calming voice, I have been talked off the edge many a time. It has become a routine in this house to listen to each of your podcasts three times, because I always seem to get something new every time. My Bills story starts on the 27th of January, 1991. Yes, that day. As a first-generation import from Puerto Rico, Football was not popular in our culture at the time, so while living in North Philadelphia, I was not familiar with the game at all. On this day, my older brother's friend came over to the house and insisted we watch this game, and since I thought everything my brother and his friends did were cool, I was more than happy to tag along. Honestly, I don't remember much about the game except the dreadful ending. I vividly remember seeing Thurman Thomas' defeated face on the sideline after the football sailed wide right. It was the first time I can remember feeling empathy for another individual. And from that moment on, I was a Bills fan. It was interesting growing up in Eagles country, trying to represent the mafia. It was nearly impossible to find anything Bills related, especially without Amazon, but through the highs and the overextended lows, the disappointments and the heartaches, the brief moments of hope and joy, I have given my all and remained faithful. It's been worth all the pain. Now, nearly 30 years later, I find myself blessed with a wife and two young ladies. My amazing wife has been a witness to my visceral fandom, including my insistence on the family wearing lucky clothing, my tiger-like pacing during the games and other illogical routines. Married to a police officer and now a deployed medic for the military, my wife has made many sacrifices to keep this family together. I have not been the perfect husband or anything close to it, but just like this season this year, I hope she sees that our past is not an indication of the future. Regardless of what happens tomorrow, this was written obviously before the game, I am thankful to have this season to share with her. So here's a thank you to Mrs. Nolan and all the partners that against all logic, through the highs and the lows, the disappointments and the heartaches, see the Buffalo Bills in all of us. Please know that your efforts are not in vain. Go Bills. Respectfully, Mr. Garena. So, I brought in a special guest to respond to this particular almighty take. And without further ado, here she is.
1: Thank you so much. That was so kind of you. I absolutely love hearing all of your emails. And this is actually one of my favorite uh Spots that Bruce does, um, and just hearing about your relationships as well with your spouses and friends and your stories. I just think it's really, really awesome. And um, thank you to your wife as well for all that she does in her service. So just thank you so much for that. That was extremely kind. And as for all of the things that you do during the game, I'm with you on that. Um, I think I was actually more upset and into the game on Sunday than Bruce was so I'm always yelling for holds Bruce gets on me for that but look I you only, think
2: everything is holding you know that
1: I only I call it like I see it so <laughs>
2: have you ever called holding on your team ever
1: I mean I go ooh, I hope the refs didn't catch that so I mean yes a
2: likely story I don't
1: yell it. it out because I don't need to draw attention to it but I know it happens wait
2: do you think the refs can hear you through the television
1: I mean they can't
2: Uh, No, 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 they can't.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, you know.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me.
1: You are very welcome. For a quick spot. You are very welcome.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Nolan. (laughs) And that's it. We're done. 35 minutes in. We took a break. We went through your almighty takes. It was wonderful. And until next week. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rocks.